curatorial space, institutional space, social and political and ethical and economic space, deep space, outer space, inner space. Space is an issue for everyone, yes, but it has specific resonance for those who make exhibitions and run institutions, and a bit differently for women in general. How we move through it, how we claim it, how we narrate and thematize it, how we fund it, how we labor in it, how we construct it, how we are trapped in it or trap others in it. Women in Space, a two-day symposium that thematized the role of scale, space and power in envisioning women in the art system and made reference to the exploratory nature of space travel and all its attendant problematics and projections. Taking the measure of a wide swath of art institutions and spaces run by women curators in recent years, it would seem that the art spaces they activate do not often stress the importance of size, the need for expansion, or the importance of demographic media impact, but rather the necessity of programs that encourage a qualitative interaction between different social spheres as they relate to the exhibitions, public programs, and the continuous presence of the artist community. But the question remains, do women art professionals aim for this outcome, or is this the result of the difficult and adaptive process to the very patriarchal conditions in which they, as women in a system created by and for men, are mandated to work? Ideas of intimacy, the smaller scale, and the need for a social space in which to express authentically and in solidarity can seem to clash simultaneously with the larger, louder, seemingly more ambitious view of what women should want. What do all these ideas, projected or not, imply? And how do they manifest in space itself? How have such ideas affected the view of women who claim space, as it were, large or not? The care, I think that is something that is normally missing in every discussion. So you, as, a, as an employer, you ha have to take care of your staff, of course, but of course you also have to take care about the artists you're working with, that they get their fees, that you have enough money for the production. And I think this is something, it seems to be quite natural on the one hand, but on the other hand, this is quite, it's a, it's a challenge, like to live this kind of understanding, this attitude to take care and not to concentrate on something else. But I'm a man here. I would say that care is unprofessional. I think, I don't think that we are going to go to the directors of the big museums asking them to take care. But I, but I think that because they would consider it unprofessional. They take it for granted that they do an invitation, they give you the conditions, here's the fee, here's the second floor, do your show, call me when you're ready, we do the press conference, the critics are going to judge what you did. That's the care I took. But that's dependent on the fact that these medium models of the spaces, of course, in the satire, is that, yeah, this is, this is the care is afforded to artists as they're coming up 
by these medium spaces, by the women curators, by the directors, that care is afforded, afforded. The career grows to the point where they don't need the care and they don't need the mother anymore. And then they're slotted into the large institutions. And I think, I mean, I also believe in but care. But then this is a nursery. Exactly. It's turning one sort of limits into a nursery. And so this idea of this constant sort of, um, this idea of care and this language of care, it makes me a bit creeped out as well despite the fact if I actually wanted it in my real life, and claiming it as our space, our space is one of care, our space is one of... Just you were also talking about the immune system before. So yeah. I think we are also, um, we have to think about how to strengthen the immune system. Not also ourselves, but also I'm a doctor. all the players. I think, yeah, uh, I know, I know. That's why I'm applying to you. <laughs> I think I would transplant love to people and so on if they don't. But but then in the, we need a, a a big political action because I think I don't I don't want to be caring if uh, the others. I think if my male uh, colleagues are also not licking the artists and loving them and so I think mm, I have some problems with love. Huh? This is a collaboration. It's not a suckling. I mean, I know exactly what you mean. You need tight collaborations at the beginning in order to be able to work in these horrendous institutions that have no interest in collaborating for whatever reasons I don't understand. But, but why mean, don't we call it precision? Why don't we talk about that we are incredibly precise in working with each other instead of uh, talking about care? No, but the thing is, I mean, because the way you, you describe it, Chus, is, is that it's a, a one-way system, which I completely agree. Why would you have to suckle an artist? It's kind of disgusting. No, I'm, I'm going to... No, no. I mean, not you. No, no. <laughs> I'd no. love to be suckled no. by you. But no, wait, no. that's too much. I do it. That's the thing. I do it. But I don't... I, no, I bet. Depending. But... Uh, what they say that I would not call it love. I would I would be technical. I would call it a treatment. But I would I would call it being specific. I would call it everything. But I would not call it love yes. or care or anything unless but we go to the MoMA tomorrow but it goes both and ways. everyone is caring because otherwise it makes us in a in a very specific niche of uh, of caretakers and nurses. But if you are in a wet floor, do they not say take care? that you don't sleep. So care can also have this being careful, like be professional. So like taking care of every details and yeah, looking after. I know, I don't want to be professional as well. No, 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 it's too much. What about the word of concern? I, I like that one more. Be concerned? But yes. Because you are South American, I don't want to be concerned. No, but no, concern no. for the others. So somehow if you're concerned, the other person is like kind of more like... But woman, we are full of anxiety. You want to gain more anxiety thanks to artistic um. practice? And then concern, Manuelita, I think... No? Hombre, es que... Care, I understand your perspective, like your point. Like care is a little bit, you know, like if you care for one more thing, it's a little bit overwhelming, no? It's like everything you have to be care of, no? Like... Yeah. Uh, care of this, care of that, care, you know? So it's kind of, you have to be in a, in a state of alert almost all the time because, you know, everything is kind of in the fringe of falling apart. So in a way, care, I understand that. But, but I think there is some sort of, and the idea of concern is somehow for me, perhaps, maybe it's not the right word and it's interesting to talk about it, but in a way is to, <clears throat> to position yourself in a place and knowing where you are and what are this, the sort of agents around you and somehow like I was, be there, no? Somehow it's about being in a place. I mean, in, in some ways I feel like 
also what we're speaking about is sort of adopting language that's been accorded to us and been uh -huh. given to us. So also in this sense, care is related to conservation. And so care is conserving a system mm -hmm. that we actually want to radically transform. Mm -hmm. We don't want to conserve the system where we are. We don't want to conserve the system where we're allotted the smaller to middle spaces and our ambitions have these kind of walls and we have to move in a certain way and then once we've nurtured and nurtured and nurtured, they get to grow up and go somewhere else and have a large, fantastic life and you get a new crop. It's like, I think this kind of idea of, of care and the curative and the curatorial are also like tied to a conservation of a system that we don't, I mean, I don't think any of us want to see the system that exists now just continue in an unbroken form. It has to be transformed. And I think part of that has to be transformed also by our ambitions for it, you know, and to, to, to sort of go beyond this idea of, even if caring, of course, is at, the, is at the core of anything you do, to actually change the language of it and stop allowing the kind of gendered language to, to sort of write the narrative of what you're doing. Have you seen the Teletubbies? Yeah. Yeah, you know the Teletubbies. That's my dream. Because I do think that the Teletubbies, which are a pre-linguistic, um, it's, a, it's a television show for babies, incredible successful. They don't say a word. They don't talk. They don't care. They are not preoccupied. They are not concerned because they don't talk. So they, don't, they cannot say that. They are not professionals because they are Teletubbies. So, but... The thing is that they are entangled. So I would claim that the Teletubbies, which are closer to quantum physics, because they automatically get it. So they, they kind of entangle all the time, you know? Like, um, the behavior is so well-timed that they, they get into each other in an almost mathematical way. So I just wonder, that would be my, my system, if we could create a system where is, is we could implement this kind of entanglements, that, that they are not attached to this psychological emotional language. I think if the emotions are there, good for you, because I'm sure the Teletubbies are immensely happy to meet each other, but we don't know because they don't talk. And exactly that moment interests me to stop the psychotransfer of emotions in that way. Not that they cannot exist, on the contrary, I want the whole thing mega emotional, so it could be the most emotional practice ever, just Teletubby-esque. So that's my... What's interesting is that, as an offset, I think Teletubbies came out of Care Bears. <laughs> I think Care Bears were the predecessors to Teletubbies. So I think that's like... They're the sons, yeah. What? It'll be, you know, psychedelic. Yeah. I just have, I mean, the Teletubbies, when they bump into each other, they encounter each other in equal terms, right? They see each other and they go, bow, with their bellies. Don't take it as a, most, a philosophical proposition. I no, think, I, think. I think I'm stuck on this now. I mean, from the side of the artist, that I should be the one who needs to receive care. It sounds like this, that you're caring for the artist and the artist's practice, and, we ha and we're nurtured up and then we're free in the big institutions. But... You know, you grow too. I mean, this is a, a two-way, minimum two-way conversation, right? And instead of care, let's just say, have interest in each other's practices and learn from each other. I mean, it's so simple. I don't want to be cared for. That is extremely patronizing, you know. 
I want to work with people that are interested in the way I do things, and I learn from how they do things, and that way we part our ways and are slightly different. And we both cared for each other, or we were both interested in each other, or we both pushed each other, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. What I try to say is that we are kind of pursuing a similar, it's as if you would say that we defy objectivity. And that's why I think it's negative, because we are identifying the big structures as those that kind of operate in an almost more objective way, where they don't need to apply all these emotions and systems. And we define in an institutional critique way, uh, no, we do it differently, because we do apply what they lack. But on the other hand, we are recognizing that they don't need it, because they are canonical. So mm -hmm. the, the emotions like make the canon even more stronger, mm -hmm. because it makes the difference in between what becomes canonical and what becomes Norse, or what becomes care, or what becomes love. So you are a love artist, but you would actually dream with being in the other part. Aren't we also then betraying ourselves? I mean, I would honestly say when I invite someone for a conference or for something, there's very selfish reasons. I do that because I'm interested in that person in that concept, sometimes in a positive or in a negative way, not because I care for that person. It's, I'm just like saying like, oh, this philosopher is super interesting. I would like to see that person having a dispute with that artist. And simply because there's an, what call it whatever, and also an intellectual curiosity about it. Not because I want to take care of this person, because I would find that patronizing no, as but, well. But I was just trying to move away from the personal yeah. in, the, in that sense, meaning, we all have a personal life. We can care as much as the fact we wanted and love the artist to tears and the love being received. What I mean is that it's a structural uh, relationship in between the more canonical, established institutions that they don't need to socially perform. Nobody is asking in the, in the media for that to be performed and us imposing a different set of values into the method so that it has more value. Like we are kind of surplusing it with love. But you know, even if we top it with chocolate, it may not get transformed. That's what I try to say. So that is a, it's a, it's a kind of self, it's an ambition. We are adding love as we could be adding capital. But since we don't have capital, we add love. That's my polemic. But on one it. doesn't, uh, you know, cancel the other. No, I mean, no, there have been no, examples no, 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 no. of no. people that are in really big institutions with huge budgets, uh, to, I don't know, 50 people staff, and they, they have the love and the care. I will propagate for care. I mean, I will <laughs> continue pushing for the care because I also want to not consider care as something that is more cute and sweet and sugarly. And uh, no. let's, go, you know, when you say, I don't care. Like, I don't care about anything. That, the opposite of that is caring without having to stroke someone or pet them or, I don't know. No, no, no. I totally smooch I them. I think, you know, I wanted to come here to position myself as a cold bitch. I think it's like, it's not Wait, what that, I that, that, You wanted to say something. I, I just wanted to, to say that for me, like, uh, care is, has nothing to do with nursing or taking care. It's more like an ethical tool sometimes uh, that could be very helpful to uh, negotiate or to establish a dialogue when there is uh, a problem, or to avoid an issue, and to avoid to be super professional and to follow a contract. No, you can, you can follow a third um, 
bridge, uh, a third way, a third voice, and this uh, critical or ethical tool could be a, could be a tool, but it's not the only tool. And um, I wanted also to relate on this uh, subsistence economy and uh, this issue of poverty. I think that we are in, in a transition, but the neoliberalism is still in process and that the commons are shrinking and shrinking, so the poverty is growing. Yeah. And um, the way I uh, approach uh, my position as a director of an art center is in a certain way try to um, enlarge a little bit uh, the commons or to resist, to save the commons and to find uh, strategies to save the commons and to be able to subsist and to bring back this kind of ecology or economy in the, in the art center, in the way we run the art center. So we can use like a lot of tools like queer, feminist and care, but uh, it has to be like super hybrid. For example, I'm unable to plan projects because it's impossible to to see what we don't know yet, no? And it's a collective discussions with artists, with the audience, and um, we are so, I will use the word, we, we care a lot about the, the audience and about the audience would relate or would uh, perceive or would uh, appropriate uh, the exhibitions or would dialogue with artists. So the program is a kind of organic ecosystem and I'm unable to, to plan what would be the, the ecosystem in one year. So uh, we have to find also uh, notions that could help us to respond because we are asked, what will you do next year? What will you do in two years and three years? And um, maybe to find an, another way to approach uh, those issues, you were talking about the side of the medical or the medicine, I would talk about this kind of alternative uh, medical and, and think about divination, for example. Divination could be a, a way to uh, talk about future and uh, to, to stay in present and uh, to avoid, uh, to separate the present from the future or to avoid to uh, separate classes or to avoid uh, to separate categories that push us to reproduce the, the old system you were talking about. Um, so it's more like what kind of tools could we uh, use no, to um, build and to uh, consolidate the um, spaces we run. I really like what you said, sort of more on a pragmatic level. So in your position within an institution, how do I plan my program? How do I relate to others in a, let's say, careful manner and careful not in this yeah, patronizing sense, but in a humanizing way um, where you interact with others from a level of yeah, respect. And I think it's really interesting to acknowledge sort of the system that we're sort of stuck in and the infrastructures that we're stuck in, but what can we do that is actually within our position to alter you know, the reality. So what if we insert a notion of carefulness in our everyday lives and the way that we interact as cultural producers? That's maybe what you mentioned as like an ethical methodology in a sense. Um, I just think it's, it's an important thing to maybe think about and also to, um, yeah, maybe not to belittle it, you know, as like, oh, 
this cutesy little thing and care and you know, this is not what we want to deal with because it's not chic and it's not hip or you know, not professional. But don't get me wrong, I'm saying not naming it, doing it. Okay. So I'm not denying the practice, mm -hmm. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that. I'm saying just entangle, mm -hmm. like um, make it happen without the need of uh, introducing it in the system with all the emotions and misunderstandings mm -hmm. that it systematically may produce. But of course do it. Doesn't that feed into the whole marginalization of care work though? Like if we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to label it or make it visible, so it remains this taken for granted practice that you know, is just expected of us and mainly of women to just do and to perform and it's not recognized, it's not paid. Also what you said about trading capital for love, we don't have capital so we give love and vice versa. <laughs> Oftentimes care work is not paid because it's assumed to be done out of love. So I'm completely um, in agreement. I think that this is exactly what we do and it's the right thing to do and it's the right thing to name it only I would like not to stay there. So my question is, what's the next life of mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. And I, have, I am under the impression that um, this did not transform much. That is also, name it or not, is also serving as a tool to create a region of division and difference in between those that call it professionalism and those that claim that they can give what others are not giving, which is true. I think I'm not denying the practice again. I'm not saying, um, you know, do it. Do it in a way that it becomes, um, that you cannot breathe. So, you know, do it so, but then exaggerate it so that it goes all over. So don't keep it for yourself, don't make it intimate or private, make it social in a way that then it's a new movement that is unavoidable. So that's my kind of radicalism into it, that not maintaining it into a label that then can be possessed and can be put into people. In, in a way. So that's kind of my fear, I think. It's not, you know, or, or perhaps it's my lack of belief uh, of, of the transformative power of the notion, but not that I am denying it. I think not as a practice. Now I'm going to talk and read an excerpt from an essay by the philosopher and theorist uh, Denise Ferre uh, de Silva. In the essay, Unpayable Debt, Reading Scenes of Value Against the Arrow of Time, Denise Ferrara da Silva does a close reading of the classic Octavia Butler science fiction novel, Kindred, in which the main protagonist, Dana, an African-American woman in 1970s California, is repeatedly sent back to antebellum Maryland, where she must save the life of her great-grandmother's owner. The unpayable debt of the title is Dana's, as da Silva writes, Quote, unpayable debt as a dialectical image guides a reading of value simultaneously in both its economic and ethical scenes. These economic and ethical scenes take place in both West and East, North and South, now and then. The space and time somehow conflates the past and the present. The reader sees how Dana's debt is the legacy of racial capitalism, imperialism, etc. Da Silva writes, and I'm going to read an excerpt from her essay. 
When they first meet, Rufus is a child, a boy of about three or four, drowning in the river while his desperate mother cries for help on the shore. When Dana finally severs the bond, killing him, Rufus is a man, one who has inherited his father's farm and slaves, and who has decided to act as master and force her to be his lover. Six times, Dana is forced back in time to Maryland to save Rufus's life. A few of these tri trips are brief, others seem to last a lifetime, and in a way they do. It is Rufus's lifetime. It is also, however, Dana's, her extended and expanded timeless life, one that lasts through slavery and beyond its order, one that ever extends the obligation to keep the owner ancestor alive. Notably improbable, Dana's charge in Octavia Butler's novel Kindred is historically incomprehensible. Every time the 20th century African-American science fiction writer places Dana in the past to save the life of her great-grandmother's owner, her heroine performs an action that preserves her present, her own existence. Every time she reverses the arrow of time as what has become that enables what has to come to pass, she violates the three onto epistemological pillars, the theory of knowing, the theory of being, and a theory of practice namely separability, determinancy, and sequentiality that sustain linear temporality. Indeed, each time Dana returns to Maryland, she breaches separality. Living as a female slave, her existence traverses linear time. Not without a cost, though. For the fixities of space-time take different shapes, including the very wall where her arms get stuck during her last return trip from the past, after having stabbed her ancestor when he tries to rape her. Yet some of this incomprehensibility disappears when one notices how Kindred rehearses determinancy and sequentiality. Every violation of space-time separation with Dana's travels against the arrow of time is determined by a threat to Rufus's life. Each follows the linear sequence of his lifetime. Nevertheless, while his life determines their relationship, which unfolds spatio-temporally in pre-Civil War Maryland in the US, Dana's obligation only makes sense if, ignoring separability, intuition releases the imagination to move and apprehend the deep implacency of all that has come and is yet to come in spatio-temporal existence. Taking further this clue from Kindred that separability, determinancy, and sequentiality support knowledge of what happens in actuality, as accessed by the senses, but not in virtuality, as accessed by the intuition. It is possible to imagine deep implacencies, that is, connections that exceed the limits of space-time. This being the case, the improbability of Dana's duty to keep Rufus alive and its resolution to kill him disappears, as the intuition defines that her debt to Rufus, her own life, is not her own doing. Even though Dana did not determine her own coming into existence, staying alive is her responsibility, her charge. That is, something that she owns or has. Notwithstanding that Rufus's staying alive is necessary for her existence, his being her owner is also a direct threat to her life. By killing him, she releases herself from an obligation that was not hers to meet, because in actuality, due to linear time, one is not responsible for the existence of one's ancestors. Staying alive, however, Dana remains indebted to her ancestors, 
due to linear time. When Rufus threatens her with total violence, she pays her debt, releasing herself from the obligation to keep him alive. She severs the relationship paradoxically out of the necessity of self-preservation. Ethically, Dana's is an unpayable debt. It is a moral obligation she is but ought not to meet because of the relationship it refigures as mediated by a juridical form, title, kinship or friendship that is modern, equal and free. Economically, Dana's is an unpayable debt because the juridical form of title governing the owner-slave economic relation authorizes the deployment of total violence in order to extract the total value created by her labor, which results in descendants of slaves existing in scarcity. So yes, Dana owns ethically a debt which is not economically hers to pay. Recasting Kindred's violation of this method presented here ignores separability and recomposes value attending to the founding violence of global capital. Why? because it is designed as a contribution to an ethico-political program for decolonization, that is, the return of the total value expropriated from slave labor and native lands. Both at the experiential and the conceptual level, separability renders this particular articulation of the claim for decolonization incomprehensible because linear temporality or sequentiality organizes both. On the one hand, there are descriptions of what happens in our daily experience in terms of separate, successive, or simultaneous events, which may or may not relate to one another. When a relationship is ascribed, it generally takes its shape from identity or affectivity. Events are related because they're of the same kind or in terms of cause and effect. On the other hand, concepts and categories describe what happened in a way that rehearses the workings of spatiality, descriptions of what happens in time. Indeed, spatiality, space, is reconfigured when A, what is simultaneous is comprehended in terms of variety or modality, or B, when what is successive consists in a stage in the progression, retrogression, or disappearance of a particular existent. What I am proposing then is that decolonization requires descriptions of events and existence that violate separability in both instances without rehearsing the Hegelian same. Participants were Nicola Dietrich, Mareike Dittmer, Raphael Dörig, Fanny Fetzer, Elena Filipovic, Iliana Fukianaki, Ines Goldbach, Sabine Himmelsbach, Claire Hoffmann, Manuela Moscoso, Marie Murassiol, Elfie Turpin and Nadine Wittlesbach. Moderated by Jus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel and the Instituto Susch, a joint venture with Grazina Kulczyk and Art Stations Foundation Switzerland. The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. 
If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please go to our website, institut-kunst.ch. That's institut-kunst.ch. Or request information or subscription to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Instituto Sush is part of Museum Sush, an initiative by Art Stations Foundation Switzerland and Grashina Kulczyk. More information can be found at museumsush.ch. That's www.museumsush.ch. This podcast was produced by the Art Institute HGK FHNW in Basel and Instituto Sush, Art Station Foundation Switzerland, 2019. Research Assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and Sound Design Elena Ziesar. Recordings Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. We also want to thank der Stiftung für Erforschung für Frauenarbeit for their support.